everyone. Can you hear me? Good. Welcome. I want to welcome Charlie Bacorni, who's going to be giving a Dharma talk for us today. Um, we know Charlie from, well, Laura practiced with Charlie and Sarah um, on the West Coast. Charlie practiced at uh, Tassajara Zen, Zen Mountain Center and also at Green Gulch and um, is ordained and Dharma transmitted in our tradition with Reb, who you, most of you know. And uh, what else can I say? Does a lot of work around um, whiteness and, and, and racial justice work. South side of Chicago, right? That's where you grew up? Do I have that right? Father's from Brooklyn? Yes. <laughs> so direct lineage. Um, and, uh, and I'm very, very happy to have you here with us today. And thank you so much for taking time to, to share some words. So welcome to BZC Zoom space. <laughs> Thank you very much. This one, Charlie. I use he, they pronouns. And uh, thank you to Kosin and Laura for the invitation to speak. Uh, thank you, Ian, for arranging the details. Um, it's good to see a few familiar faces and um, many unfamiliar faces. And I feel um, honored to speak here. Uh, for some years now, uh, Sarah and I have been appreciating from afar uh, what's happening at Brooklyn Zen Center. So the main topic of this talk is embodying uh, relationality. Uh, a few times, uh, Suzuki Roshi talked about a bridge uh, just beyond the entry gate to Eiheiji. Um, the main uh, Soto Zen monastery founded in Japan by uh, Dogen. And this bridge is called uh, Hanshaku Kyo. And that means half dipper bridge. And this refers to a story that uh, Dogen would draw water from the river running in front of Eiheiji and then return half a dipper of water. <laughs> and the first a uh, bunch of times I encountered this story, um, it, I found it confounding. And um, I always, I, I liked wondering about it over the years and kind of imagining it. And, um, and it's grown on me and it's come to speak to me in various ways. And uh, this kind of year, particularly, it's uh, something, there's something deep here for me. Uh, something you know wonderful in this um, in the non-utility of this act, and I'm feeling it as an expression of uh, a deep care, or you know, honoring uh, an ungraspable truth, or a, a boundless uh, relationality. And so I'm so I'm seeing this this act, Dogen's act of pouring back a half dipper. As this, uh, you know, as this uh, embodying relationality. Uh, Suzuki Roshi said about this story: um, "This expresses respect for the water. This kind of practice is not based on any idea of being economical. It may be difficult to understand why Dogen returned half of the water he dipped to the river." This kind of practice is beyond our thinking. 
when we feel the beauty of the river, when we are one with the water, we intuitively do it in Dogen's way. It is our true nature to do so. But if your true nature is covered by ideas of economy and efficiency, Dogen's way makes no sense. So if I think in terms of economy and efficiency, I would just take less to begin with <laughs> and get on with things. <laughs> and, and so it's like, what's, you know, what's, what's happening for Dogen here? Um, so I see like pouring back the water is Dogen embodying or enacting or performing or uh, doing, you know, this being in relationship uh, with the uh, river, with the water. And so it's like, a, it's a, it's about, it's a koan of reciprocity. And it's also a koan of, of not just like seeing or knowing reciprocity, but doing or embodying reciprocity. Or, you know, a koan of living uh, the bodhisattva vow. Or a koan of, you know, not just feeling love, but, you know, uh, love in action. And I feel this is not different from the koan of uh, Dogen sitting or Buddha sitting or the koan of, of our practice of zazen. So um, water, um, you know, it, you know we, we, we have our experience in the way that we know water, you know, clear, we use it for various things. Um, and maybe we experience it, you know, it's just, it's part of the world out there. And so, and so what is this water? Uh, in Genjo Koan, Dogen talks about how we see water. And uh, one thing he says is, uh, the ocean is neither round nor square. Its features are infinite in variety. It is like a palace. It is like a jewel. And these last two phrases are referring to a teaching about four views of water. And so the, the, there's a fish experience water as a palace. And celestial beings experience water as jewels. And hungry ghosts experience water as uh, pus and blood. And we, uh, as humans, experience what we call water is this clear liquid that you know, we can drink, we can use it, we can bathe in it, we can swim in it, and so on. So who has the true view or experience of water? And uh, emptiness is that there's no true view. There's, there's these different views, these different experiences arise because of the karma or the state of being, you know, of these these various types of beings. And so it's not that one is more true or less true than the others. And so part of fully appreciating this is, you know, to see that our idea of water, our experience of water as separate from our life is a delusion. There is no water like that. You know, the water we know and experience is not actually just out there. It's happening with us or we're part of it, and it's part of us. We give life to it, it gives life to us. And we arise and happen together as a one event. 
you know, if the water, you know, if I look at the water as just being separate or inert, dead, um, what I do with, with the dipper of water, uh, it seems trivial. It's just something for me to use. And when the water is my life, uh, and how I handle the water is how I handle uh, my life, uh, that's different. You know, so Dogen pours back uh, half a dipper of water, and there's a kind of love there, and a, a kind of um, you know, uh, pouring out his heart. You know, and not um, objectifying water. You know, not objectifying uh, my life. And then the water is not just something for me to use. Whatever I'm uh, holding is my life, or whatever I'm feeling and doing is my life. Uh, whoever I'm with is my life. And so, you know, how uh, do we take care? And uh, you know, Soto Zen is, you know, sometimes we're 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 not so into like emphasizing like insight or awakening as attainment, but but wholehearted activity or practice of awakening or, you know, practicing realization. So this is Dogen's doing this enactment of this, of this uh, ungraspable truth of reciprocity. You know, he's undoing uh, the river becoming us and us becoming the river. In my kitchen, I tried um, pouring some water down the sink drain after filling up my water glass. And, and there was a little feeling like, oh, letting go. Oh, there's less water in my cup now. Um, I also tried pouring some water from my glass into a plant, you know, which had a kind of, that had a nicer feeling. <laughs> More of a sense of, of sharing, you know, something, some kind of sweetness. I also think about in Oriyoki practice, you know, a formal meal ritual in Zen, uh, we collect water you know, from each person after the cleaning. And then we go out and offer that to a tree with this, um, this spirit of offering, you know, giving. And, uh, and that resonates. But I also feel like there's, um, my sense is like, you know, I'm fully engaging this practice or what I'm, what I'm feeling here with this pouring back a half dipper is, you know, that I want a creek or a river, you know, for the, um, the, the intimacy, you know, the immediacy, you know, directly uh, working at the source. And we always do have a creek or a river. You know. uh, relationality um, is uh, pointing to how everything we do is a meeting of reality with reality. But, you know, everything we do is, has this intimacy of pouring water into water or the self, you know, pouring the self into the self. This is kind of inspired by the kind of things Dogen, half a dipper of Dogen into Dogen. Pouring myself into the world, the world pouring itself into me. Or Dogen says in the instructions uh, for the cook, let all things come and rest in your heart. Let your heart mind go out and rest in all things. 
And we might try to sort out um, giving and receiving, but everything is going everywhere. You know? And you know, this there's a we have we have in the meal chant the emptiness of the three wheels, giver, receiver, and gift. So this is um this emptiness is not the, the, not a transaction. It's more uh, deeply and thoroughly uh, relational. You know, a kind of a reciprocity. Uh, so, receiver and gift, like you know, water being poured into water. You know, where's where's the giver, uh, the receiver, and the gift? Each moment is a flow of life and energy and relationship. Each breath in and out. Offering half a dipper, receiving half a dipper. And relationality, um, you could also say radical relationality, is not just that I have relations, but that I'm nothing but relations to the core of my being. This is no self. I and all beings happen together through relationality. Uh, completely. Uh, my son is uh, nine years old. He has a, a set of blocks, holes in them, you know, so that you could uh, build something and then you could roll marbles uh, through the structure, different kind of different shapes of blocks and different kinds of holes. And uh, he was recently uh, really excited to show me how he'd made a structure which included a jump. And so the marbles would shoot down one structure, a little pad, shoot in. And, you know, he's, he's excited about this. And, um, and then I went back into the kitchen. And then a few minutes later, I, I heard him cry out, everything. And, um, and uh, he was upset because, you know, it had stopped working. And this is this thing about these, these blocks is that, you know, when the, it's changing the blocks. And so the next time you roll the marble, it's always a little tiny bit. This structure was, you know, this, especially the leap, you know, it was very precise. Uh, it stopped working. Of, of relation and what I, what I do in one moment and only a, and what I did yesterday, uh, yesterday, but in part because of what I did, formula uh, we can stick to. It's all, it's all we're all turning everything. However, I try to get all the pieces. Or, my, you know, things are so relational, you know, that uh, disruption is inevitable at some point. And then I can, and then maybe I hate everything. <laughs> or maybe uh, the messed up pieces are just my life. And, you know, moving along like a marble and, you know, sometimes getting stuck, sometimes flowing.
so how do how do I embrace this this life of that's never in control? You know, that this is the this is the half dipper of water I'm receiving. So I feel Dogen becoming partners uh, with the river. And um, you know, I um when I open uh to this feeling or this truth, you know, being in relationship, um, I don't feel entitled to just take uh the water, but to you know to find my place um as part of what's happening, you know, in partnership, uh in conversation, in a mutuality and uh, collaboration. Uh, Suzuki Roshi said, you know, if your true nature is covered by ideas of economy or efficiency, Dogen's way makes no sense. And I, I recently read um, that the number one reason um, white men give for not getting involved with DEI or, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion is um, I'm too busy. And I, I think this was among the white men who, you know, recognized the importance of DEI. And uh, this really struck me, in part, you know, because I identify as a white man with a commitment to DEI work. And I, also, I often feel busy uh, and sometimes too busy. And so I started wondering about a tension, you know, between this mindset of being busy and DEI work and, you know, more broadly embodying relationality, you know, caring for Dogen's way. So what is, what is being busy? Um, you know, when I'm busy, uh, I may feel uh, stressed, you know, and I'm pushing through or, you know, juggling many things. And, uh, and even then, I think, you know, being busy, it, 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 it is kind of viewed, or I, I feel viewed as something legitimate, reasonable, sort of sometimes even like a positive state of being, you know. When I'm busy, I may also feel like uh, important or valuable or productive or uh, powerful. It can give me a little charge, you know, or a little uh, juice, like, you know, a sense of urgency, the rush of uh, rushing. You know, like, you know, speeding along with, you know, a, uh, an agenda that's, you know, powerful and compelling. And this, um, as a mindset, I see, I see busyness as um, like a force and kind of compelling itself potentially into like every waking moment with a chronic sense that there's uh, never enough time to get everything done. And then, you know, so then like something like uh, comes along, like uh, something that maybe is good, but uncomfortable and I can evade it. You know, I'm too busy. I have too many things going on. Um, I see some kind of ideas or beliefs about time in this mindset of busyness. Um, it seems to be kind of like deep, intertwined with that quantification or um, objectification or commodification of time. You know, so time is this kind of stuff 
and this and a scarcity mindset you know can arise with respect to this time stuff i don't have enough time there's not enough time i need more time time is money as a mindset busyness is not necessarily related to how much work i actually do i also i also read a study that found that the more money people make the less time they think they have so what is happening when I think I have uh, some time or not enough time? And how do these kind of beliefs and frameworks about what time is and can impact me or shape my life and function through me? And you, how is making time into a kind of stuff or object or currency um, something I'm adding to what's happening? You know, something extra something that's you know obscuring my life obscuring my true nature and dogen teaches that um, being is time and uh, and so here i'm feeling that as like it's not that time is um, this stuff it's not that time belongs to me it's also not that i belong to time uh, i am uh, time we are uh, time I am time as this moment of all beings. We all share this moment. We're all together uh, relationally in being this moment. And when I'm busy, I'm not really available for the unpredictable turns of actual interaction. I'm not particularly open to being changed by what's happening. Um, not interested in relationship, but in some transaction. You know, I'm involved in in my agenda uh, rather than the um, inescapable, uh, all-inclusive you know, relationality you know, of, of this moment, you know, of a moment always shared with all beings. So then when I'm too busy, you know, your needs are just in my way. If I feel you're too busy, I can feel like my needs are just in your way. And so again, how, you know, how do we uh, show up for each other? On a kind of somatic or kind of emotional level, I've been um, exploring busyness as like intertwining with uh, closed heartedness. And so I may close my heart off if I don't want to feel uh, pain or hurt or uh, fear or uh, woundedness or you know, be thoroughly in touch with my uh, vulnerability. And when I don't want to feel that, um, or I don't feel like I have the time to feel it, and you know, closing my heart off like this, I close off my uh, empathy and close off my basis for compassion or my ground for caring and uh, real connection and disconnecting you know, from my uh, humanity and disconnecting from being this moment in the true sense. And part of how I can practice with being uh, too busy then is to get in touch with this uh, close heartedness start opening, you know, to a way that's less driven, you know, 
and more uh, vulnerable, open-hearted. And so caring for an embodied intimacy with uh, my heart, all the places in me that may feel uh, closed or tight or tense or numb. And so, you know, as as an embodied practice, breathing in to these places, seeing the tightness and grasping and trusting like a gentle, uh, thorough, caring presence. And, you know, finding ways to uh, relax and soften and open, you know, where I habitually, you know, or reactively tense up or close down. And I scan my body for tightness and grasping in dead places. Because um, I feel like I, I carry around a lot of this, actually. Some of it I can feel. Some of it takes quite a bit of uh, sitting to get in touch with. Without trying to pry anything open, just allowing a healing presence, uh, an intention, you know, to fully feel, you know, to be open I'm curious. So this is this is part of embodying relationality. It's also this inner work, this you know somatic process of releasing, grasping, and I think like stress, anxiety, overwhelm. These can also accompany being busy, and with these two, caring for embodied intimacy. You know, breathing, uh, sensing, feeling. Curious, inquiring, where in the body is the experience? What are the ways I've learned to manage this? I see um, busyness giving me a deprived form of meaning, a kind of deprived form of mattering. It's a weak form of meaning that's uh, maybe just enough to get me through a day or a week or a year but it's not, a, it's not a form of meaning that's growing or deepening or connecting. And so I'm also seeing this mindset as a kind of, as a modality of disconnection and disembodiment. And, you know, the way that I actually give up my agency, getting all this stuff done, I've given up my agency. I feel like this is part of why, you know, just taking a one, or just sitting, you know, can be a, a revolutionary act. Some spaciousness, you know, can change my life. And I see this this mindset of being busy, holding in place, you know, systems of suffering, systems of trauma, uh, systems of domination. A culture of, of busyness is not open to change. Because, you know, there's no space, you know, to actually move and to feel and to acknowledge, uh, uh, to be in relationship. Irony in the urgency of busyness in that it can obscure, you know, what is actually urgent. You know, the, the actual suffering in us and happening through us, you know, personally and uh, collectively. Um how I, how I work with being busy can also include an inquiry into what I'm doing. 
you know, what are my commitments, my priorities, my values, and working with vow, you know, clarifying uh, what I, what my heart most deeply wants, or my inmost request, and then integrating that a process of you know working with my choices and commitments. You know, and sometimes it might be helpful to kind of literally just do less stuff. And, you know, inquiring, you know, how do I disrupt or find a gap in the flow of, of busyness? Finding moments of rest. And bringing broader perspectives to, like, narrow agendas. Or um, decelerating. You know, slowing down. Um, taking breaks from, you know, email and texts and social media. And also, you know, learning to say no to something I value because I have too much going on. And then how to say no in a way that's connecting rather than disconnecting. Or how, you know, how to say no in a relational way. And with all that, you know, still practicing with the mindset. Or, you know, it might, it might feel appropriate. Shot at balancing what I value. And in, in a full life, also appreciating how uh, much of the time, or, well, the whole time, I am just this moment. I'm, maybe I'm doing one thing, or, or maybe I'm multitasking, but... I'm not doing everything I'm going to do today right now. I'm just doing what I'm doing in this moment. And um, so I'm just doing this moment. You know, being time, you know, I am this moment. Um, Zazen is a way... I would, I would offer uh, to open to relationality and to open to this, you know, spaciousness in a full life. And Zazen then is not, I don't see it as being about disconnecting or disengaging because disconnection is this ground or basis of myriad forms of harm. So Zazen is an embodiment of relationality. And part of, you know, part of what drew me to Zen practice was, um, uh, I'd read about it, but then towards the end of college, I was at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, and I saw these Buddha statues. They had a set up almost like a temple room in the museum there. And uh, I think what impressed me was this like manifestation of peace, like, sitting in the world. You know, so not like in another world, not above this world, uh, totally in this world. And in Zazen... The body sitting upright is not uh, just a container, you know, for the mind. It's not like we set up the still upright sitting so the mind can do zazen, which is like the real meditation. You know, and, and this it's kind of easy, I think, to to think in this way, just because you know the definition of meditation is is you know it's something you do with your mind. 
but that's that's you know that's not our uh, Soto Zen tradition. Mm. Completely embodying sitting sitting meditation, sitting upright, is the meditation. And, and zazen is not kind of what's going on in my experience or up here. It's um, it's a not just a mental thing. It's a whole mind, heart, body thing. You know, embodying relationality, practicing a body and mind of zazen. Okay, you know, like a true mind of faith, a true body of faith. Um, in the Zen poem Sando Kai, or the harmony of difference and equality, uh, Sekito says, light and dark oppose one another like the front and back foot in walking. And so, you know, so I'm, I'm walking through, you know, all the things I do. And um, I see I see this mindset of busyness as being like kind of leaning in and being focused on that front foot, the foot that's moving, always the next step, always the next thing, and uh, and and not and not grounded. And then the whole time I'm walking, though, there's also this back foot, and the back foot's always grounded. It's always in touch, and you know at least this, for part of each step. It doesn't move. And, you know, it might be harder to get in touch with the back foot. Or that, I imagine that that's the one that's the darkness. And the front foot is going to be bright and vivid. And so how, how walk, you know, being in touch with the front foot and the back foot. You know, so zazen stopping, you know, just grounding. And then when we get up, going through activities, how care for this quality of attending to both feet, you know, so that, that so this activity of the front foot is grounded. We're moving, but connected while I'm moving. You know, we're caring for groundedness while uh, walking. And so we're we're always moving. You know, this is a natural energy of being alive. It's energetic. I don't want to stop that. I, but I want it to be uh, connected, you know, relational, uh, grounded, you know, balanced. And so we have Dogen here pouring back this half dipper of water, you know, that's caring for the back foot or the sense of connectedness. And I imagine, you know, he's caring for the front foot too, but, you know, that's, we, the story doesn't tell us, but, you know, he must have done something with his water. He did whatever he did with the water, hopefully in a careful way. So how do we uh, practice with uh, busyness, you know, either running our lives or creeping into our lives? You know, so, and, uh, I want to offer uh, also inquiry, you know, just kind of taking care of or, you know, cultivating an active sense of inquiry in our practice. Am I leaning forward? Am I leaning past the present activity into being done with it and being into the next activity? Am I fully showing up, you know, in interaction and uh, relationship? 
know, am I caring for a, a balance of the front foot and the back foot? Uh, there's an image in a Zen poem of you know, feeding a blazing fire while immersed in water. And so I've, I'm feeling this feeding a blazing fire is this uh, inquiry, you know, mindfulness, attention to relationality while submerged in the water, you know, submerged in myriad activities, myriad conditions, myriad uh, circumstances. Feeding, feeding this fire, tending this fire, taking care of this fire that's kind of impossible. And endless inquiry is uh, appropriate, you know, where self and world are all uh, totally processed, totally relational. Each time, you know, the marble runs down, the blocks shift. And so, you know, yesterday's answers don't work today. You know, if I rely on those, the fire will die. And, you know, relationality is, is uh, not a static thing. It's not a static wholeness. It's, it's always dynamic. You know, so how we make ultimate truth real is always active. I mean, we're not, we never step in the same river twice. You know, we're never in the same moment of Zazen twice. We're in the, never in the same moment of any relationship uh, twice. So to keep giving, you know, fresh energy, you know, inquiry and finding uh, the inquiry that's alive for you, you know, the question that feeds the fire for you, you know, feeding this fire with, you know, our vows, our deepest requests, our love, our intimacy, and inquiring, inquiring um, with thinking, and also, you know, a feeling as inquiry, sensing as inquiry, embodying as inquiry. So I don't, I don't feel Dogen pouring back half a dipper because it has a special meaning or because he understood the meaning of life and then he did this thing. Um, I feel like it's you know, pouring back a half dipper is doing the meaning of life. You know, so rather than seeing the meaning of life as a kind of mental thing, Embodying uh, relationality is about how the meaning is happening with our actual activity of body and mind uh, in each moment. And I would offer this as a form of meaning that uh, grows, deepens, and connects, and also heals and liberates, and endlessly uh, relational. And it's a meaning that opens with uh, bodhisattva activity, compassionate activity, living and embodying um, the Bodhisattva vow uh, in all the myriad ways we can. So thank you very much for um, your practice. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, 
please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.